Psalm 119. I've had so many different things on my mind for this week. I've changed my message three times this morning. You can ask Laura, it's true, but I do believe that this is where we need to be. So let's, let's look at Psalm 119, and I want you to read along with me, follow along Psalm 119. We're going to start in verse 137, and I think, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five Sundays of Psalm 119 is all we have left. So uh, we're going to enjoy finishing up this overview. Obviously, we've not been able to dive into the truth of every verse, but we're trying to get a good overview of each of these sections. So let's start reading in verse 137. Righteous. Now, hold on. Everybody look up here at me just for a second. Don't unplug while we read this text. I want you to notice if there's... Jake, I've got something for you after church, so see me after church. You only knew the stuff that doesn't come out in my brain right here. So, I want you all to notice, first of all, the, our, our ten words, our ten you know, commandments, precepts. I want you to notice those. Always pay attention to those. Probably be good to mark them in each section. But see if there's any other word that's repeated in this section. So, 137. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delights. The righteousness of thy testimonies is everlasting. Give me understanding, and I shall live. Lord, we love you. Please help us as we study this. And Lord, we do see something really profound about you in this text. So please help us to get it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what's the repetition? Righteousness. What do you think the title of today's message would be then? Righteousness. Righteousness. And so when, when we look at this, I want you to think about God. So John Gill, the famous Baptist preacher from the 1700s, he wrote a, book, a series of books called A Body of Divinity. And listen to what he said. Adam was righteous, but not of himself. God made him upright or righteous. Saints are righteous, but not by their own righteousness, but by the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. But God is righteous in and of himself. Righteous, uh, God does not become righteous. He is, by his very nature, righteous. His righteousness is essential and inderivative. He doesn't get it from anywhere else. It is incommunicable to a creature. In other words, he cannot give his complete righteousness to anyone else because that will be imputed to them. It will be added to them. That God's righteousness is not something that anyone else has. It's in and of himself. That's what it means to be incommunicable to a creature. It is not that by which men are made righteous, as Oseander dreamed. For though he who is Jehovah is their righteousness, yet not as he is Jehovah. 
for then they would be defied by him. So don't worry about that last part. I should have taken that out of the quote just because it would take too much explanation. But the idea is, aren't you glad that we have the righteousness of Christ? But remember, that's something that we put on. Now, it's wonderful that I am clean in Christ, but God's righteousness is something that we really need to meditate on, and I hope to do that today. So look at verse 1 again. Righteous art thou, O Lord, upright are thy judgments. So because he's righteous, how he judges will be righteous. It's all based in his righteousness. And of course, we live in a time, young people, I just, I really want you to know that God loves you. I really want you to know that God loves you and he has a specific plan for your life. And there is an entire world that wants to destroy you. And um, I've been, you all know that I like to delve into the academic world and you know, read some really high-level stuff and watch some really high-level discussions. And do you know what I've learned? I'll never know enough. There will always be a question that I can't answer. Man, I started looking into different types of thinking, presuppositionalism, and all of the other ways of approaching apologetics and logic. And you could spend the rest of your life just studying the different approaches to logic the different approaches to philosophy. So this is what I want you to understand, young people. Someone will always have a question that you can't answer. Here's where you have to be assured of God's rightness and his righteousness. His rightness and his righteousness. We understand that there is morality in the world. There is morality. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that God has written his law on our hearts. He has given us conscience, which is why there's never been a civilization in the world discovered that doesn't have some kind of sacrificial system. Men know there's sin. They know there's right and wrong. Now they develop customs and ways of living that are obviously immoral and not right. Would you all agree with that? But all that does is to demonstrate that we understand that there's unrighteousness in the world. If I brought a baby up here and started torturing that baby, no one would have to teach you that that's wrong. As a matter of fact, the abortion mills, the main thing they want to do is make sure that you don't get a picture of that baby. Because when you see it, when you understand what's going on, you have God's law written in your hearts. Now, are there people who have been given over to a depraved mind whose consciences are seared with a hot iron, and they're no longer able to discern between right and wrong? Are there those people? Yeah, we call them Congress. Evil. Evil. Wickedness. And here's the problem. I I was talking with a young preacher about an old preacher who didn't understand the challenge that you all have. And he said, when I got these challenges, the old preacher told me one time, well, you know, people challenged my faith in the word of God, and I did okay. He didn't have the internet. And let me just tell you something. It's very easy to seem intelligent on the internet. It's very easy. And here's what it comes down to. 
the argument, the attack used to be on truth. It's no longer on truth. In the postmodern world that we live in, young people here, listen to me. The attack is, is a moral attack. And the idea is if there is a God, he is immoral because he won't let me do what I want with my body. That's the argument. That is the most appealing argument that has ever been made. And this is where you need to know there is such a thing as right. There is such a thing as wrong. There is such a thing as justice. Have you all heard the word justice lately? Do you know what justice is a synonym for? Righteousness. Righteousness. So if you don't know what righteousness is, you cannot know what justice is. And, and God's righteousness and his justice are interchangeable, and you cannot separate God from his word. And so right now in progressive Christianity, there's a terrible attack on God. And, you know, the attacks go something like this. Um, why would I worship a God who uh, made me to where I, I can't love who I want to? God made me this way, and then he tells me I can't love who I want to. That's a bunch of garbage. What they're trying to do is they're going to lie to you about God. So it's vital that you young people that you know the God of the Bible. That's the God that you know. Now, can I promise you something? People are going to let you down. You know, I, I was answering questions. We did a question and answer last Sunday night up at the church in Toledo. And it was so hard for me because I answer a lot of the apologetic type questions with stuff I learned from Ravi Zacharias. And now if I say some of the things that I have said in the past and somebody knows, well, they can attack me because I'm citing a predator. What do you do? There are people who, you know, Ravi Zacharias was their introduction into intellectual Christianity. And then you find out that he lied about his credentials. Most of the a lot of the stories he told were just lies. They weren't true. Young people, the reason I'm telling you this is because this is somebody that influenced your pastor. But here's what we do. We make excuses for people. Uh, just a year or two ago, I got one of Ravi's newer books, and I found seven factual errors in the first page in his stories. Seven factual errors. Now, all of us, when we preach and we give an anecdote, we communicate a story, we get some of the facts wrong. Anyone who's ever spoken extemporaneously, that's just, you know, off the cuff. You, you get some facts wrong when you tell a story. That is completely excusable. When you write it in a book and it's proofread and you're putting yourself out as a scholar, it's no longer excusable. I excused it. But I didn't read the rest of the book. It's really important that we understand, young people, don't give people a pass. If somebody lies to you, that's a lie. And I promise you this, from this pulpit, you will not be lied to. I'm going to tell you, thus saith the Lord. And let me promise you something. You're going to meet someone smarter than your pastor that will attack God's word at some point in your education. I'm no dummy, but there's always somebody smarter than you, right? 
It's like you think you're tough. There's always somebody tougher. And you're usually going to marry them. It's, it's just true. So at some point you have to decide what's true. And I can promise you this, God is righteous. And the thing that's going to give you the best life that you can ever possibly have is holiness and righteousness. Because, man, for a season, it'll seem like sin is good and fun. And it doesn't seem like you're going to pay a price. But the longer you live, the harder life becomes. And I promise you this, if you live a holy life, the longer you live, the better life becomes. And how do I know that? Because God's righteousness endures forever. Look at Psalm 11. The 11th Psalm. Keep your place in Psalm 119, of course. I'm going to come into the teen room um, during the... uh, I haven't talked to Ty about this, but during the, the Grand Prix, you guys still have youth group, right? Let's, let's have youth group that night. I'm going to spend the, that evening with you guys. I want to talk with you. I, I don't want to talk to you. I want you guys to tell me about your faith. We're going to have a conversation about that. Look at uh, Psalm 11 and look at verse 7. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. The, the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. See, that's not a tautology. That's not a a useless repetition. Because he is righteous, he loves righteousness. And here's the good news. He loves you when you're saved because he sees the righteousness of his son. And then that gives you the capacity to walk and be an upright person. Man, I've got to tell you, when, when these religious leaders fall, it causes so much trouble for people that have used those, those men, that, like with Ravi, people who have used his material to try to lead people to Jesus Christ, that might be the thing that stops that person from coming to Christ. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, I have become consumed with this. It's almost like this is the last straw. It seems like with, with Mark Trotter dying, a godly man who maintained the faith and testimony all of his life, and really around the same time, learning all this stuff about Ravi Zacharias, as, Brett, or as Brandon said last week, that, um, you know, who's going to fill Mark's shoes? Who is going to continue? Well, here's the good news. You know, there, I don't know, there are a couple thousand people at the funeral yesterday, and I'm just one guy that he taught discipleship, and I'm taking discipleship to a church in New York next month, and then the following month I'm taking it to a church in, uh, in Georgia, and we're going to keep going. Amen. And I wonder how many other hundreds of preachers there are doing that. And and it's just biblical ministry. But here's the thing. And this is what I want you all to hear this morning. I want you young people to listen to this. Man, I am so tired of Christians faking it. The first time I learned about something like this, I was in 11th grade. There was a, a, a famous preacher and, you know, he was a youth speaker and just in our circles, just very famous, largest church in the world. And um, so I, I would listen to his sermons. 
And my sister had come home from school, and I was, I just kept talking about this guy. Well, I never even thought about why my sister had come home from school. It's because she was this guy's secretary, and he tried to molest her. I'm in 11th grade, and I learned, here's my, one of my spiritual heroes. And my dad said to me at some point later on, my father said, if you expect a man to be human, you won't be so surprised when you find out he is. And I think that's a good thing for people to understand. But honestly, to this day, we need to hold our leaders to a higher standard. Young people, you should expect holiness from me. Now, I try to be transparent. Y'all know, I'll stand up here and tell you when I'm struggling with something, whether it's anger or whether it's how to react to the political climate. I try to be very honest with you young people. Man, I'm not perfect. But you have the right and the responsibility to expect your leaders to be holy. And we as leaders, I expect Ty Blackford to be holy. I expect Diana Blackford to be holy as they work with you. And parents, we have to expect that. And if you have leaders that are standing for righteousness and upholding righteousness and establishing godly standards in your young people's lives, you need to support that. Now, let's say they draw a line someplace different than where you would draw a line. Be thankful that they're drawing a line, that we care about righteousness and we care about holiness. Laodicea, the Laodicean church age, it's all about the rights of the people. And man, I think that, I think that we're letting righteousness and holiness slip by the side. There's so much more that could be said. As far as God's righteousness, Louis Burkhoff, he said, a distinction is generally made between the absolute and relative justice of God. The former is that rectitude of the divine nature in virtue of which God is infinitely righteous in himself, while the latter is that, of, uh, while the latter is that per- perfection of God by which he maintains himself over against every violation of his holiness and shows in every respect that he is the Holy One. It is to this righteousness that the term justice more particularly applies. Let's, let's try to understand that from the text. Look at verse 137 again. Righteous art thou, O Lord, and upright are thy judgments. All right? So what you have is God's righteousness. God's righteousness is revealed in his judgments. Listen, God's righteousness is revealed in his judgments. So my dad was a trained singer, a highly trained singer, and um, could have sung for any opera company in the world. And so I I sang a, a, a solo in chapel one time. Dad came to hear me. And afterward, he said, uh, you know, I'm expecting, I want to hear something from Dad. And Dad said, why didn't you use your voice? Now, it's interesting. Dad had an understanding of, of vocalization that I don't have. I didn't have his training. And so his judgment was much stricter than mine. Isn't that interesting? It's the same thing. So if I'm talking to Todd Whaler, Todd Whaler's back there, and his job, you design machines or something. Well, Todd's understanding of how to measure something 
would be much better than mine. I mean, I did woodworking, and I'm so glad that like a 16th is the closest tolerance you need to have for woodworking because I don't like math. And when it comes to fractions, I'm ready to move to the decimal system because I can do that. You see, if I were measuring something, Todd could critique my measuring because he understands things about measuring and terminology and things that I've never even heard the words. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Right? And it doesn't matter what field you're in. If I talk to Rania, where's Rania at? If I talk to Rania about medicine, it was so funny. I asked one of her kids one time, we were on a trip, and how much of this are you going to take? It was a pain medication or something. And whatever is indicated on the label. That's exactly what one of your kids said to me. Isn't that fantastic? Now, how many of you think maybe Rania knows more about medicine than me? Dr. Ree knows more about medicine. He knows more about delivering babies than I do. So if I were delivering a baby, God forbid. And Dr. Ree said, no, you're not doing that right. And I looked at him and said, why are you judging me? How many of you think that'd be kind of silly? Now, how many of you are already stuck on me delivering a baby? Just <laughs> There's not a more timely passage of Scripture than this. God's righteous and His judgments are upright. So when God says not to do something, when God condemns people for a particular behavior, whether, whether it's rebellion, homosexuality, adultery, fornication, stealing, lust, envy, anger. When God judges those things, that judgment is upright. Doesn't the Bible say that holiness begins at the house of God? This subject of righteousness and uprightness, when we watch what's going on, how many of you saw the kind of the controversy about Max Lucado at the National Cathedral? How many of you have not heard about that? Okay, so they invited Max Licato to preach at the National Cathedral. And so there was a big upheaval because, I don't know, 15 years ago, Max Lucato said something against uh, the LGBT lifestyle. You don't have to go back 15 years for Grace Baptist Church, I can tell you that. And so there was upheaval. But what they decided to do was to have a, a, a sodomite uh, Anglican bishop speak before him. And so he got up there and made excuses about how we have to listen to people that we disagree with and sometimes we vehemently disagree with. And then the pastor of the church got up and basically said the same thing. And then Lucado, I, I can't say preached. Man, I would have gone straight to Leviticus. I would have gone straight to what God says about that. So he preached, and then he wrote a letter to the church apologizing for offending people. That's where we are. The National Cathedral. The National Cathedral. The National Cathedral of the United States of America is a place that condones, endorses absolute immorality. The filthiest kind of immorality. God's judgment of that is upright. 
It's an abomination. And honestly, the United States shouldn't have a national cathedral anyway. Look at the next verse. Thy testimonies that thou hast... What's that next word? Commanded. Are righteous and very faithful. The testimonies which thou hast commanded. I think that's an interesting thing. A testimony is something... I want to tell you what happened. If, some, if, if Dave Spicer finds someone who is a witness to a crime and he asks them to give testimony, when, when they make that report... Even Dave's report that he makes is considered testimony. Is that right? So that is something that happened. How do you command a testimony? It's it's very simple. Cohen, have a good testimony. Jason, I always expect a hockey mask. I've just got to... Have a good testimony. What does that mean? We would say it, and and Lydia could tell you, be nice to people and remember your name. I was going somewhere to preach a while back, and she said that to me. No, I don't want to. Have a good testimony. That's a command. Why? Because people are looking at you. And we've all heard this. It almost sounds trite. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And that is biblical. The Apostle Paul said, ye are our epistle. You're you're our biblical letter. The way that you're living out in society, that's the only Bible that some people will ever see. If you are the only Christian that a person ever meets, what are they going to think about the Christian faith? And I've got to tell you, we're not a legalistic church there's been some stuff that's been said about the judgment seat of Christ lately in, in circles that we know that is just completely wrong. Can, can I just promise you something? Patrick, you are not going to give an account for sin at the judgment seat of Christ. So go ahead and sin. How many of you think that's the teaching? No, but I can promise you this. My sin was judged on the cross. I am not going to be judged for anything I say, anything I do. It doesn't matter how heinous it is after I get saved. I will pay a price for that in this life. But my sin was judged on the cross. At the judgment seat of Christ, what's going to be judged is the work that I'm doing for Christ in the church. And why did I do it? That's the judgment seat of Christ. And I've got to tell you, that's enough. Can you imagine going through eternity, realizing that Jesus Christ gave everything for you? He gave you eternity, and you have nothing to present him at the judgment seat of Christ. Maureen, we need to get the words to that song, Must I Go In Empty-Handed. Will you make a note of that? Must I Go In Empty-Handed. How many of you remember that old song? I can't imagine going to see the Lord I love with nothing to give him. I remember when I graduated from college, I'd gone back to school. I was working full-time, taking 23 hours a semester. I did my four-year degree in two and a half years working full-time. It was time to be done. But I remember when they were handing out the awards at graduation, I remember sitting there ashamed. I was ashamed. 
because I knew I could have done better. I knew that God had gifted me. You said, well, that sounds pretty arrogant. You should have. Well, I didn't do it, did I? I don't want to be that way at the judgment seat of Christ. Now look. Look at, look at the text again. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. So this is what I've been telling you for years. I want you to have my life. I want you to... How many of you adults, you feel that same way? That you know, whether you have lived this way all of your life or not, but right now you know that righteousness exalteth a nation, righteousness exalteth a people, righteousness exalteth a home. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when you do that, man, life is so good. What is that? That's a testimony. And it's faithful. It's faithful. But here's the problem. Having been around this my whole life, raised in church, dad's a preacher. I've told Laura, I've never not known the gospel. Anybody else, you're kind of that way? You've never not, your earliest memories are Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Your earliest memories. Man, I get so tired of watching young people leave. And there's a couple of reasons that young people leave. Number one, they want to. And so what I would say is, go ahead and choose hell if that's your desire. If you're not saved, you understand that if you're not saved, you're choosing hell. If you young people understand that, raise your hand. If you're not saved, you're choosing hell because you have heard the truth. It's that simple. There are people out there that it's a little bit different. But for you guys, you got no excuse. And that's the words the Bible uses. Look at the text. Thy testimonies that thou hast commanded are righteous and very faithful. And I promise you, the reason that so many young people leave is because of the faithlessness of their parents. And it's heartbreaking. Parents, how many parents do we have here? Would you raise your hands? Your parent. Do you understand the responsibility that you have? And we're not going to be perfect. And, you know, if you think that you've got a buddy whose parents are perfect, it's just because you don't live there. There are no perfect homes. It's funny. Uh, somebody just told me that they, until he got married, he thought his mom could cook. He never knew food was supposed to taste good. Oh, that's so funny. I wish I could remember who it was. I probably shouldn't say it out loud if you know how to do it. So there's really two sides to this. Number one, parents, we need to recognize how important our faithfulness is. And then young people, you might not have had a good parent, but you can be one. People, I promise you, people will let you down. They will. And not on purpose. People mess up. But when do we mess up? When we stop walking with the Lord. I think it was Bob Jones Sr., old preacher, Methodist preacher, who would say that there's no such thing as a great fall. Every great fall is nothing less than the end result of a process of wicked thinking. I promise you, the testimonies that God... I've said I promise you like ten times in this sermon. I guarantee you that God's testimonies are faithful. The things that He's commanded in us, they're faithful. And now, this next verse... 
This could be my life's verse right here. Look at this next verse. My zeal hath consumed me because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. I'm just telling you, I'm so sick of preachers that don't preach the Bible. I'm sick of it. Ravi Zacharias almost never preached the Bible. It's an interesting thing. We must preach the Bible. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, because the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. They won't endure it. But what are we supposed to do when they won't endure it? Preach it anyway. I love the passage. So when you guys, I hope some of you guys become preachers, but it doesn't matter. All of you are going to be teaching the Bible to somebody, either by living against it or by doing right and discipling. Jeremiah says, it says to Jeremiah, be not dismayed by their faces. Man, I've been in situations, I was preaching early on here, and there was somebody sitting on the front row, and I'd be preaching, and she'd be looking at me going like this. And because I'm shy, I would do this. Preach just like that. Be not dismayed by their faces. I am consumed with zeal. What is zeal? It's that passionate it, ardor is the the biblical or is the is the, the definition the dictionary definition of it where you're just consumed with the truth and we get consumed with politics we get consumed with materialism we must be consumed with the truth of God's words notice the s not this nebulous word where I can make the Bible say whatever I want it to but the very words. Of God, that is our authority. That is our doctrinal statement. That is our covenant. That is our confession. That's who we are. And we live in a time where even evangelical churches are moving away. We're going to get to the passage here in a few weeks that says, Thy word is true from the beginning. How many of you have heard of William Lane Craig, the apologist? William Lane Craig. Well, he now believes that Adam and Eve, that they were maybe created but that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are what's called mytho-history. And that Adam and Eve lived, they were a real couple, he thinks, and they lived about 750,000 years ago, and they were a different kind of human, humanoid, and that the Neanderthals, that's people from Michigan, that's the Neanderthals and... The, the, the Homo sapiens descended from this, some other kind of species that Adam and Eve were. Okay, my Bible says the, the words that out of the dust of the ground formed he man. And out of Adam, he took a rib and made What's the old joke? He said, man, God, I want this really special lady that's going to do just be the perfect wife and do everything I need. What's that going to cost me? He said, an arm and a leg. He said, all right, what can I get for a rib? But anyway. <laughs> that's not in the Bible, okay? That right there. That's what the, the words say. And I'm going to listen to everything that he says. He's getting ready to come out with a book because this is what the atheist will use to attack us. And we need to have the answers for those things. 
And I got to tell you, William Lane Craig's way more brilliant than I am. The work that he's done, the research that he's done, but much learning hath made thee mad. Because my Bible, the words that my Bible says, there's no way to turn it into what he's saying. That's why you have to turn it into a myth. Jesus didn't think it was a myth. I'm consumed. See, we have to be zealous for God's words. Amen? Let's go on. Oh, it's time to be done. Here, let me, let's get through this. Look at the next verse. Thy word is very pure. Therefore, my servant loveth it. What I wanted to do as I was preparing this, there, I, I could take maybe a month on each of these verses, but, but this one, I wanted to compare what, pure to unpure. How many of you know there's unpure literature? It's pretty easy to imagine what that is. But compared to God's word, everything is impure. The, the statement, the old, the old statement of faith that in the scriptures there's no admixture of error. It's, it's even better than ivory soap. 99 and what was it? Seven one hundredths. What was it? Anybody remember? 44 one hundredths. 99. How many of you know, I do, have no idea what I'm talking about? That's because it probably wasn't true. They probably can't put that on there anymore. It's very pure. Do you know that's why people hate it? See, the Bible says that it's a light. And have you ever been in a situation where you actually see yourself in really good light? And you see it up close, and all of a sudden I realize how many pores my nose has. And they're really big, and it's ugly, and I really don't want to see myself that well. 4K TV is really bad for everybody, right? Because God's word is so pure. See, if I compare myself to Ethan, I'm awesome. (laughs) If I compare myself to this, I'm pretty bad. And it doesn't matter how long I walk with the Lord. When I compare myself to this, I'm pretty bad. Then what do I boast in? Nothing but the cross of Christ. See, when God's word is pure and you're zealous for it and you understand the need for righteousness, man, it changes everything. Look at the next verse. But doesn't this flow right from it? I am small and despised, yet do I not forget thy precepts. Man, as I stand up here, Wade, shut up. I'm small. I'm small. And when, you know, I was thinking of the judgment seat of Christ, and I was thinking of rewards, and it made me think of William Tyndale. I don't know if I said this in here or in one of the other meetings. You know that any, any person who's ever been... How many of you got saved by, through an English Bible? Anybody? Pretty much everybody in the last 500 years in English who's gotten saved, they owe a debt to William Tyndale. 
I'm never going to do anything like William Tyndale. I'm small. You know, you think, so maybe I can only lead one person to the Lord and build them in the faith. That's small. No, it's not. That's a person that if they were the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for them. Small and despised. Now, that word despised, in in the Bible, it it really kind of means ignored. Remember Jesus despising the shame? It means to kind of, he's small and despised, and yet, how, how does he say it? Can we read it out loud together? I am small, verse 41, I am small and despised, yet do not I forget thy precepts. What are the precepts? Those are the things I'm supposed to tell somebody else. Man, I know I'm nobody. I know people ignore me, but I'm still going to tell people about Jesus. Why? Because he's righteous. His judgments are upright. Look at the next verse. Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. Trouble and anguish anguish have taken hold on me, yet thy commandments are my delight. So what is that saying? His trouble and anguish are not caused by God's law. They're caused by people that violate God's law. So they're my delights. Then number, verse 144. The righteousness of thy testimonies is what? Everybody is what? Give me understanding and I shall live. Okay, young people. You want to really have life. Really live. Really live. Then ask God to give you understanding. Your best life now. I just promise you, if you want to really live, ask God to give you understanding. And I've got to tell you, I don't know of any time in my life where I need God to give me understanding. We were talking in Sunday school, what do we do about the, the vaccines and all that stuff? I don't have any idea. I don't have any idea what to tell you about all this stuff that's going on. I don't know, but I do know this. I do know this. If God gives me understanding, I'll live. And I'll live until God takes me home. I'm really glad that this is not all there is. You know, when you're young, it's hard to imagine that you'd want to go. But I can just, I almost said I can promise you this. But I can promise you this. Eternity is better than this. God doesn't tell us much about it because we'd all get the Kool-Aid and check out now. Remember what Paul said? I'm in, a, I'm in a strait betwixt two. And betwixt is a great word, by the way. I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. He said, but it's better. It's better that I stay for your sake. Why doesn't he take us out? For everybody else's sake. We're here to do something for him. We're, to, we're here to use the gifts that God has given us, the life that he's given us to help other people have life. We have the gift of life that we can give to people. Let's give it to them. And what does that start with? It starts with understanding the righteousness of God. I heard a guy say um, that you know people have all different types of ways of giving the gospel, that the best way that he had heard was, God's righteous, you're not, repent. That's pretty good. That is pretty good. We're not righteous. He is. Aren't you glad God uses you even though you're not? Praise the Lord. Let's all stand together.
Remember what John, I write unto you little children that ye sin not. Christian life is never a license to sin. And God's people said, amen. And yet, never compare yourself to other believers. Compare yourself to God and the purity of his word. And then let's be a holy and a righteous people. And that's how I want us to pray right now. Now, of course, if you're not born again, if you've never asked Christ to save you, let today be the day of your salvation. Ask him to save you. But for the rest of us, let's just take a minute during this invitation, and then we'll sing, and let's ask God to make us holy, for Grace Baptist Church to be a righteous and a holy people. Let's pray. Lord, we need your righteousness. Lord, we we can become arrogant and we can begin boasting because we're not like the lowly publicans. And of course, that's such a pharisaical, horrible attitude.